This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Lori provides a safe space where clients can reveal their challenges and together work to uncover the thoughts, emotions, and behaviors that create obstacles to well-being. To better understand unhealed patterns, there's a stage of exploration of events from early life that has created automatic reactions. As you become more conscious of these automatic responses, you will find that you have more choice and will feel more empowered. One recognizes him or herself as a valuable individual who, though tempered by misattunements from childhood, has risen and moved beyond the trauma. Valeria interviews Lori Pantel. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice in the San Francisco Bay Area. Lori works with individual adults and couples and is passionate about helping others to understand the hurt places inside that create blocks for them to transform those hurts and to find their particular path of meaning. Earlier in her life, Lori was on a trajectory of intellectual development and achievement. After receiving an undergraduate degree from Brown University and graduate degrees from Princeton and UC Berkeley, she realized that her path was actually quite different than the one she was on. Through a gradual process of evolution and greater self-understanding, Lori embraced psychology as a career and committed to her own healing and spiritual journey. Now, drawing on close to 20 years of experience guiding others, as well as her own lived experience, Lori looks forward to each workday, meeting her clients where they are at, and seeing the wisdom of their healing unfold. Lori also offers case consultation to other therapists and healers who want to better understand the interplay between their own psyche and what is coming up with their clients. Meet Lori at BayAreaTherapyPractice.com. Here's the interview with Lori Pantel. In your own words, who is Lori Pantel? Mm. <laughs> I'm certainly a complex person, like like all of us, and I would say that I. I have been blessed with certain gifts and capacities, and I also have been hurt. I think that probably applies to all of us. And what drives me and excites me and gives my life kind of a, a boundless source of meaning is my journey to heal myself and being able to use what I've learned on this journey to help others who also want to heal. Both of those pursuits sort of, I think, capture who I am, my passions, you know, what really matters to me. Hey, that's beautiful. And with that in mind, I'll ask you the question that I had here for later, but I'll ask now. 
Talk to me for a moment about the healing journey from trauma survivor to a healer, to a therapist that you are today. I would love to know more. You know, they both go on simultaneously. I think I think we're, we're healing for as long as we're here on the planet, you know, and, you know, my path has been a long and slow and sometimes circuitous one, I would say finding the right tools, the right healers to work with, the right modalities has been a challenge and and not always a clear path. But every turn I take and everything I try informs my work as a healer. So I don't consider any of it lost time or, you know, a miss in terms of its usefulness because my clients are all different and they all need different things and different tools and approaches. It's an amazing experience to have. And you're right about that. And all of us have been through some sort of trauma or hurt. We're not immune to that. None of us, although some of us have suffered more. Mm-hmm. And I wonder why some of us go through these um, tragedies in deep time of suffering and others don't. How would you explain that? (laughs) Mm, That's such a great observation and and I don't have an explanation for it. I, I don't know why that is the case. I certainly have observed that some people's path is harder. I don't know why that is, but I do know that that they're is strength and gifts and benefits that come from being on a more difficult journey. So I I don't see it as a negative or a, a curse. <laughs> you know, I, I see it as an opportunity, although it does make one's reality unusual. <laughs> I would say different than perhaps many people different in terms of how you're going through life. So it can create an experience of separation. But again, that's an opportunity to heal that as well, to find connection and to find camaraderie and companionship even on a journey healing from trauma. So it's kind of, um, I mean, it doesn't surprise me, of course, what you said about suffering and then being an opportunity for deeper, I would say, self-knowledge, self-awareness and connection to oneself and others in life. And I remember asking, I think a few days ago, one of my guests about three experiences. I usually ask this ending question about what experience, three experiences you wish everyone to have before you die. And she said that to suffer. And that was I mean, I understood her immediately, but mm-hmm. I don't hear that that often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Most of my guests say love and peace and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and connection, but not suffering the way she did. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, she explained exactly uh, the way you did, mm-hmm. because it opens this space within us to understand more, to go deeper, to love deeper, essentially. In some ways, forces us <laughs> to be courageous and persistent and you know, I think your your guest's ability to turn it into something positive is part of the healing, is part of being able to accept one's experience and then 
work through it and create blessings that way through that experience. When I think about that, I remember some of my guests, many of them, they are actually grateful for the suffering that they had been through Mm. because of all these lessons that they had learned and where they were today. I don't know if I can say the same thing, like Mm -hmm. that I'm grateful to be abused as a child and all that. Yeah, it's a bit different for me. I would not be grateful for that. I would not want to go through that again in order to learn what I know today. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. But then I'm trying to find another way of um, interpreting that, which is not gratitude, but it, it kind of drives me today to go deeper in a sense of spiritual knowledge. That's because we cannot explain everything, as you said earlier, but I can explain how some of us suffer more than others. And we cannot explain. There are so many things, aspects of life we cannot explain. We cannot find logic and and rationality, reason. So I had to turn to spirituality. The deeper I go into it, the more I see that connection between self-awareness and ignorance and suffering. So the more we run away, try to escape deeper knowledge about ourselves in life, the more we suffer. That's what I see now. That's Mm. kind of my big picture kind of insight. Yeah, Yeah, I, I completely, completely agree with that. And there's so many ways in which we as humans try to escape you know, our feelings and and the sensations that are in our bodies. And so I agree. I think that that is why suffering persists and we have to stop running and allow and come to terms with the impact of what we have experienced in order to be able to recover. And, you know, I, I would agree with what you said that I, I also am not grateful for the harmful experiences I had early in life, but I am grateful for what I have had to develop in order to come to terms with that. So the self-awareness, the humility, the courage, the strength, you know, that part I am grateful for. But yes, I am not grateful for the harm. I, you know, see it similarly to you. One of the things that I think now that if I knew early on when I was going through all that suffering, it would be trust, that I could have trust life or myself, the body itself and the mind to find a way uh, to heal itself. So I remember not trusting, of course, I didn't have any thoughts even about trust. And now this is um, one of my, I would say, almost light post, (laughs) my candle. It's what illuminates my path in my daily experiences, just to trust everything that happens exactly the way it does, without trying to push away, trying to judge, you know, that it just makes it worse. (laughs) So it's... um, to me, trust is a, is a big one, a big component of healing. Another aspect of this, I think, is that our wounding, when we transform it, becomes a, a, a strength or a, or a capacity beyond which most people have. You know, it, it forces you to develop these parts of yourselves that were encumbered and, and handicapped and hurt. 
and in a way, then they become extra strong and extra resilient. And that's also one of the gifts of healing. So, so true. I was just thinking about when you speak of strength, becoming stronger or developing these parts of us to cope or deal with the pain. It makes us different, right? We change. And then I wonder about this painful experiences and painful emotional experiences and thresholds, because I remember it seems like that there is a limit to it. That's kind of has been my experience and observation, I guess, that there is a limit like to what the mind and body can go through. And then there's no place to go. And then it just elevates, it transforms into something that is, yeah, it's almost like it's own medicine, something that a medicine to its own pain or to that pain. I'm not sure if I could put that clear enough, but it has been my experience though. Has been yours too, Laurie, somehow? Yes, I agree. I think that we, our systems get overwhelmed. Yes, we go beyond our capacity to continue to feel. And so then we shut down, <laughs> you know, we, we freeze, we numb, all kinds of things because it is too much. And our, our bodies are designed and our minds are designed for us to survive. And if we can't survive what we're experiencing, then other systems and mechanisms are going to kick in to protect us to contend with that overwhelm. In this case, what I have observed is that it goes beyond survival. At some point, I guess, has been my experience. And then it's a, a space that's very calm. It's almost like the medicine for the pain. It becomes medicine, mm -hmm. that space. So that's kind of interesting to observe in myself. And I know some spiritual teachers, they call it that uh, different names, awakening. There's different names for it, this process. When you go beyond, or maybe before, who knows, might be before even the human experience, we go from a place of humanness, of being a body to being outside of the body mm. and just watching everything. Do you have um, any spiritual belief systems, ideas, views um, of yourself in life? I do. You know, I, I find spiritual perspectives to be incredibly helpful. And I think that all of the spiritual traditions have, have overlap in terms of the principles and the sort of the fundamental truths that they recognize of, of the human condition. So I don't belong to any traditional spiritual lineage, but I find that the perspective can be incredibly valuable and also incredibly challenging to embody and live through those principles. They, they seem simple yeah, yes, and straightforward <laughs> and of course wise, but when it comes, when the rubber meets the road and, and you're trying to utilize it, that's where it gets really, really challenging. Another question, let's say opening question for you is, how do you define trauma and how do we learn to recognize the signs and symptoms of trauma? That's the question. Yeah, my, my understanding of trauma is evolving all the time. I, I think that's happening in the zeitgeist in general. There's so much more discussion and understanding and, and 
refinement of what trauma is and how we understand it going on in the world right now. The way I'm thinking of it now is it's, it's a kind of stuck energy that is in our system that gets blocked because of some of the things we were discussing a, a little while ago in terms of overwhelm, dissociation, you know, just inability to stay present for experiences that are too much. They're too harmful. They're too destructive. We have these frozen parts of ourselves and it's really energy. It's a, the energy comes from a combination of emotion and sensation and probably stress hormones that got activated in our system. You know, there's lots of things that I think are, are contained in that stuck place, but it prevents us from being in the present and allowing the flow of life to come through us. So it, it becomes very difficult to make change. It becomes very difficult to access resources. It becomes difficult to connect to parts of ourselves and therefore difficult to connect to others. So these, these stuck places that we have in ourselves block chi or, or life force, you know, from, from being able to, to be vital and flow within us. And the signs and symptoms are all out there. You know, people have addictions. They, they may not numb themselves with a substance, but they may numb themselves just internally, you know, to not feel certain things. People have attachment disorders, relationship difficulties. They feel lost and confused. They don't know what they want to get out of life or why, why they're here. There's so many ways that trauma shows up. I think we are at early stages of understanding all of this, both the sort of scientific physiology that happens with trauma and, and then also how to heal it and how to reach anyone who has trauma with some form of, of healing. It's sad to hear that those stuck energies that stay with us and cause so much harm to ourselves and others. And we keep passing that on as a legacy to the right to other generations. Yeah. And I'll say one other thing about it, which is I think that our minds, unfortunately, often sort of distract us or misguide us in a way because we try to make sense of the symptoms, the signs and symptoms you were asking about. We try to make sense of those in our mind, but we don't understand that there's something stuck in our bodies that's creating these signs and symptoms, that's creating the thoughts that are coming. And so we keep trying to solve it in our minds and that doesn't work, that doesn't resolve it. We do need to change our thoughts if we're having sabotaging or self-destructive thoughts. We do need to change those. But in my observation, that's not enough <laughs> to actually heal the trauma. So unfortunately, we're brilliant people. We have these incredible minds, but sometimes they get in our way. I agree. That's a, a very powerful message, actually, trying to medicate the mind with the mind and find all the solutions at that level, the mental level. But the body, yeah, it's left with the, all the pain stuck in it in a cellular level. 
So we pass on this trauma through DNA. Actually, Laurie, do you believe that? Is that something that science would back? Absolutely. That concept of epigenetics, that trauma actually changes our DNA. It changes the chemistry of our brains and our bodies. And I absolutely think that is the case. Some of the traumas we carry, we lived through, and some of them we didn't. They got handed to us through genetics. I remember talking to uh, somebody about, I think, the family systems. Um, Internal family systems, IFS, they call it. Yes, that's it. So that was fascinating to hear that from him because he had been suffering all his life and he didn't know why. And then he came across, right, the internal family systems. And then he found out that was passed on to him, all that pain from mm. generations to generations. Mm. Depression, that was one of um, the biggest problems for him. So how fascinating that is. I keep going back to... I mean, I have to because it has been my experience. I go back to spirituality in the sense of knowing that we are not the body and the mind in all the conditionings that come with them in all these things. If we can somehow become open enough to insights, which they, they begin intellectually has been my case too, you know, being very curious about these things and then letting that light in a way of truth, of knowledge kind of penetrate the body itself. It changed. It really changed the body. I noticed that with myself because I carried so much trauma in my body. And these days, it's almost all gone. It's still here, some of it. I can feel and I can see the reactions and responses, but it's nothing that I can uh, stop or be, I'm aware of, and I can stop them from becoming something else. I have to go back to that for some reason without, of course, overlooking or finding what you do in all psychologists. And I mean, you people are just incredibly beautiful and helpful when it comes to kind of guiding people who have been traumatized into that step-by-step, baby-step kind of process of becoming open to healing. I'm, I'm so touched to hear that you have healed as much as you have. That's really, really, really lovely to hear. And I, you know, I've noticed that oftentimes people get the cognitive awareness long before their body gets it. I, I will joke sometimes and say, your body didn't get the memo yet. Because <laughs> yes, right. cognitively they will understand, you know, the abuse my fault or just because I was neglected doesn't mean I'm not lovable, you know, so that the thoughts will be self healthy and, and, you know, effective, but the body doesn't know yet. So it keeps responding in the same habitual ways, the same conditioned ways. So yes, that step-by-step, very gradual, you know, shifting and it needs to happen slowly so that someone doesn't get overwhelmed and and doesn't lose their bearings you know so i i agree with you i think it's a it needs to be slowed down mm-hmm. this yeah. process of healing another components that i have to mention is trust because it seems like at the left of the body that's what i feel it has lost trust 
in everything and everyone <laughs> in humans. So yeah, it's such a wonderful work you do mm -hmm. because then you establishing, reestablishing or reminding the body to trust again. Mm, yes, that really resonates for me. And I've also experienced many times where my body was so distressed that it, it didn't feel safe to be there. Not, not only could I not trust it to guide me well, but I, I almost couldn't be in it in a way because the sensations and emotions, you know, are so intense. Your services include individual couples, dating relationships, and high achievers therapy. That caught my attention. Of course, I hear uh, individual couples, dating relationships, but then your website, you list high achievers. So I'd love to hear more about that, that form of therapy. What is that all about, really? <laughs> sure. Yeah, um, I have an interest in this, and I came to this because of my own journey. You know, I, I, I come from a family that was very oriented toward achievement, kind of the expected external achievements that you think of. Earlier in my life, I pursued those things. I went to graduate school for professional degrees. I was at, you know, sort of well-known institutions. And and that was the path that I was on. And And then it all sort of came to a halt when I realized what I was up against in terms of my inner life and all of the obstacles that were there that that no degree was going to remedy. I then really shifted to a very, very, very different path. And in a way, still consider myself very motivated and determined, but it's a different kind of achieving. It's a deeper sort of spiritual, I guess, goals that I have, you know, for myself. So because of my experience, I find myself drawn to people who have something similar, where they are really motivated and engaged in life, but have found that they have these, these inner blocks that prevent them from fully enjoying their lives having some other parts of their lives work well, if, they, you know, they may have a lot of career success, but personally not feel very fulfilled or satisfied. So the fact that I can relate to that sort of the external achievement and then the recognition that something has to happen internally allows me to really resonate with people who also identify that way. And I love my clients. I mean, I, I like all my clients, but, you know, the ones who are really driven, that's that's fascinating for me as a clinician to work with them because they tend to be very motivated and, you know, curious and interested in understanding themselves. So, How do you help them, Laurie? Just the overview of that process. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because I think people who classify themselves that way in the beginning of therapy sometimes have a difficult time because therapy, the process does not lend itself to the same kind of linear pursuit and goals that their other achievements have. So you know, if you're someone who wants to be an entrepreneur and have a 
startup, you know, you can follow certain steps. You know, you read books, you you talk to people, you, you kind of know what the steps are to get there. And there may be twists and turns, but, you know, it's it's not mysterious. Right. <laughs> and, and then true. they get into therapy so and it's hard at first because they want healing to go that way as well. And, you know, I have to kind of reinforce that it's not linear, <laughs> that, you know, it's a very, very different process to understand oneself and to make progress in healing your inner wounds than it is to pursue some of the external goals that they've pursued. So it it creates a, an interesting kind of challenge for me. And, but then once, you know, once someone's on board and, and understands that, then, you know, it tends to be quite dynamic and impactful, the work that we do. You just kind of made me reflect now about I have been actually thinking about this and then now we've been stronger, how we give attention to so much of these um, parts of our lives. And I wonder if that's because of societal um, norms, you know, rules, all about the happiness comes with money and to be successful is to have money and then in all these, uh, these houses and cars and things. So do you connect this way of um, living, trying to um, focus on one area of our lives in the sense of financial success? Do you relate that to uh, pressures, to societal, almost societal misunderstandings? And, That's a great, yeah. great way of putting it. You know, I, I think, of course, we need to survive. And so we, we need a certain amount of resources to be able to do that. So there is a very real aspect to needing to work and we spend a lot of time working. So we want it to be something that's a good fit and that we enjoy. But I think our culture, like you're saying, goes way, way beyond that. And, and capitalism, I think, drives that misunderstanding because it relies on us feeling like we need to buy the next thing or have, you know, the next raise or whatever in order to be successful humans or to be fulfilled. And so we get a lot of messages that I do think are are misinformed and, and are not useful to us about what matters. I remember, I mean, in my case, it was not really, was it? No, it was not becoming successful, the, the issues with my family and all that. It was always being busy. I had to be busy because I started working really young when I was a child and then put to work, really. And then what happened to the psyche was I only felt valued and loved if I was working. If I was doing something, if I was achieving something or making something happen, that was my main motivation, which is sad too, isn't it? Because then I never felt really loved if I was relaxing or pausing. Then I, I would not feel worthy. Right. And so many of us have some version of that conditional, you know, that experience that we, we are of value if we perform in some way and... That can create a lot of problems, which I'm sure you have experienced. Oh, yes. Lots, <laughs> lots of problems. And then the, for me, it became the practice of self-love then, self-kindness. That was my tool to kind of uh, heal from that. 
And it still is. I see that it comes back sometimes. And it takes effort. It's incredible, my Laurie. It takes a lot of effort and commitment to heal mm-hmm. these parts of ourselves that have been hurt. It certainly does. You know, I think of that energy that gets stuck with the trauma and how much energy it takes to, mm. <laughs> to try. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's undoing, unlearning, right? And creating different kinds of energy that will clean the other one. It, per se, I don't see anything as bad or good or bad. It's just life, just life being mm. life. It's such a, a fascinating journey. So we're almost at the end. I do have a few more questions for you and someone that I didn't ask, but are you open to new clients? It's one of my questions. And how do you meet them? Online, in person, groups, cooperation? It's interesting. I, um, you know, I see some therapists put on their website, you know, no, no openings right now, not, not able to take clients. And for some reason, my experience has been it, it always just kind of works out so mm, yeah you know when I get an opening someone shows up I I'm so blessed in that regard so I'm quite busy and full but there always seems to be room for new clients right now I am working exclusively remotely and that has been surprisingly effective I would say over the last several years and I work with individuals and couples through the video. I love the way you said that about being open too, right? That it's almost like that phrase, when the student is ready, the teacher shows up on the <laughs> healer. So yeah, then synchronicity, I believe that. There's something that you say, that the email you sent me says, developmental relational trauma, it's often misunderstood, misdiagnosed in mental health field. So talk to me for a moment about that before I ask you my final questions, Laurie. You know, when I went through my training, you know, we go through the the DSM, the, the manual that has all the diagnoses in there. And, you know, we study the really extreme forms of mental illness and, you know, all the different criteria that each diagnosis has. And there's no discussion, or at least when I was in school, there was no discussion of developmental trauma, which, you know, they call little t trauma versus big t trauma, which would be some really shocking, you know, experience that you lived through like a car accident or a you know, a shooting or something like that. So there's the the little t trauma. And in my observation, that is what my clients come in with, some version of that. And some of them have come to me after having seen other clinicians or been diagnosed in, you know, in different ways with all kinds of other diagnoses that as we work together, begin to fall away because they don't actually fit. So I think that even though, again, there's so much discussion now about trauma and people are recognizing how insidious these more subtle forms of misattunement and and violation are, it's still often not recognized as what it is. And so we need to work harder, I think, to understand what developmental trauma is, to get it into the manual of diagnoses so that the appropriate 
diagnosis is given to, to someone. And so that then, because if you understand what, what the problem is, then, then it's a lot easier to solve. That makes so much sense. And I wonder why it didn't happen yet, because that completely kind of resonates with me. In my case, most of my traumas, they were developmental, relational traumas. And they became bigger because, of course, I was not aware of it. I was looking to escape them. But they might become even bigger traumas, the T traumas, <laughs> from that. So that's a very good observation to make here. Thank you so much. Yeah. Mom. Yeah. And especially if you don't get support. Mm, yeah. That's when those relational traumas become, you know, unmanageable because you don't have anyone <laughs> you can turn to who can help you with it. I have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. But before that, would you like to add anything else that you left unsaid for today? You know, engaging with me and giving me the opportunity to have this conversation. As a therapist, I'm, you know, generally not sharing in any general way about my experience or kind of my broader perspective. I'm working with the specifics of what a client is bringing in. So it's really a gift to me to be able to discuss these things with you and to sort of say out loud some of the things that I think about a lot and that and that frame how I approach my work. Wow, it's a gift to me and it's a gift to us what you share here and, and who you are. I just absolutely love what you do. It's spiritual again. It's life being life, supporting itself and nurturing itself. So thank you so much, Laurie. So my ending questions, I have two of them. What is another word for healing? What comes to mind? Relief, growth, evolution, choice, empowerment. There's lots of words I would associate with it, but I can't think of another word. Uh -huh, yes. <laughs> that kind of captures it all. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> I understand. And my last question is that question about the experiences. What three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? An experience of love, whether it's love of oneself, love toward another, love from another. You know, I, I think so many of us and certainly people who come to therapy often have not experienced real love. You know, that they may have experienced some form of care, but it didn't feel like love to them. So I would want that for anyone who hasn't experienced it to, to be able to experience that. Feeling that you have purpose in being here in some deeper way. If you're going through life and, and just kind of going through the motions a bit or don't, don't feel like you have a lot of agency in terms of how your life is going, you're missing something important and having that sense of meaning is so rich and vital. So that would be a second experience. And maybe the third would be a, an experience of, of resonance with others, with art, with some aspect of life, you know, that, that you would feel connected 
in some way or or touched in some way by life. Wow. I love it all. And um, now resonance. I love that word too. So what came to me was nature. That really resonates with nature. It, it just, I really resonate with it. It's incredible. It's, it teaches so much. Thank you so much again, Laurie, for everything that you represent, your work, for being here today, having this conversation, and for your beautiful intention. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your work, services, and future projects? My website is bayareatherapypractice.com and all of my contact information is there. So Wonderful. I'll have the link on your podcast profile too. Thank you again and we'll talk soon. Bye for now, Laurie. Thank you so much and bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Lori Pantel and her work, please visit bayareatherapypractice.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.